0: Well, if you would take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Keep your finger wet. We're going to move over to uh, John, chapter 3, in just a moment. Again, as I said last week, for these first few weeks, probably first month. Don't panic. We're not going to be moving through the Gospel of Mark at this pace the whole time. But uh, the first chapter is just, it's, it's, it's so many things, a lot of things I've never even preached on before. I mean, specifically, that I'm I just kind of looking forward to it. But it's also very important foundational things to the book before we get into some of the major stories. So uh, I just say that so you don't go, oh my goodness. It's going to be a long time. It probably will be compared to a lot of the series we've done. March Madness. I love it. How many of you, how many of you fill out a bracket? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I thought this was like a basketball church. Okay, well, listen. I, uh... I I filled out a bracket, and I'm pleased to say. As a matter of fact, Jamie was looking at my bracket, my youngest son, and he 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 went on and he started comparing it with Obama's, and like we're almost 100 percent right in line. So I don't know what that says, and um, but uh, so I'm 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 doing all right though so far. I don't have any major bracket busters, a couple of upsets, but I'm doing I'm doing really well. Now that to say, I'm I'm not in for Warren Buffett's billion dollar prize. But uh, I, I really do. Most of you know I love basketball, and this is probably my favorite part of basketball. And I, I was thinking about this series because uh, this talk today, because you know the March Madness is all about coming up with the number one basketball team in the nation. And I was thinking, well, what would be the what would be the marker? What would be kind of the sign? What would be the emblem, the logo for our culture? And, and I started thinking as I was watching these games, you know, you see these crazy fanatical fans and they all got these stupid looking, you know, I thought, well, maybe, maybe it'd be a dollar sign or maybe it would be a, a, a credit card sign or whatever it'd be. And I started thinking, no, that would probably kind of be the emblem of our culture of the last 20 years. One of those silly foam fingers that says number one or Sports Illustrated said you are number one. Because isn't that really how our culture lives and believes? Look out for number one. I'm number one. i got to be number one. I've got to climb the ladder of success to be number one. Well, again, we live in this inverted kingdom. If 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 you're a Christ follower, you live. You have signed up to be part of an inverted kingdom. And you're not number one. And we're going to look at a man today that is introduced in the gospel of Mark early on who was very happy with being number two, second chair, second fiddle. And I want us to learn just some principles of what that means for our lives. So let's let's pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Now it says, And in the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in the prophet." Isaiah, by the prophet Isaiah. So we see in the beginning, the gospel. That's what the message of Mark is going to be about. The gospel, the good news. We talked about that last week. And then it talks about the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be the focus throughout this whole gospel. And he says, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Prepare what way? For who? For Jesus. He's talking about John the Baptist here. He's a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's the prophecy that pointed forward a couple hundred years, a few hundred years, uh, 500, 600 years forward to John the Baptist. Now John comes onto the scene. John came baptizing in the wilderness. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to talk about those two things, repentance and forgiveness of sins, in a couple of weeks, a little more deeply. But the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, I love this word, they were flocking out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Let me say that we'll be doing baptism. Uh, on Easter again, down there at uh, at the marina. If you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to do it this Easter. Make a plan now to be a part of that. Now, John, I love this guy, man. He was uh, he he really didn't dress for success. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, but he was preaching. Someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. Oh, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. From the beginning, John's message, John the Baptist, his message pointed to somebody else. Uh, beside himself. So I want you to see a few things today. John John the Baptist, he prepares the way for Jesus here. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, Hundreds of years earlier, John comes to prepare the way for Jesus. John's a wild man. I don't know about you, but that makes us just a little bit uncomfortable in church, doesn't it? It's hard to identify him because, because he cuts across the grain of personal decorum because he's got all these rough edges. He lived and he preached in the Judean desert. Who I hate the desert. I mean, I do. If you're from Arizona, don't be offended, but I, I don't want to live in Arizona. But he was a man of the desert. He wore desert clothes. He ate desert food. The guy was a biblical Bigfoot. He was a, this, a, a, a spiritual Sasquatch. He was wild. He was wound pretty tight to have the message that he had. But he had substance that matched his style. His message was compelling enough to bring people, city folk, from the city into the desert. They streamed to hear him. And he baptized them as they listened to his message. And I got to tell you, it wasn't a feel-good message. He didn't talk about, well, God loves you just the way you are, and he wants to make you happy, happy, happy. He wants you to be rich, rich, rich. You know, that wasn't his message. It wouldn't have been on TV. No, in true prophetic prophet style, he called people to repent, to turn from sin, to turn from God so they could be forgiven. He preached social injustice, that they were to be a part of the the answer, the solution, to deal with the problem. He called out the Pharisees and the religious charlatans of the day that came to see him preach to wonder what is so popular about him. And as they come to watch him, he'd look at them and he'd go, you vipers, you snakes, you serpents. You don't get popular that way with the (laughs) upper echelon. But the people loved him. And they come to hear him. They flock to see him. Now, it's so powerful? He's a spiritual success. And this is what I know. I've been around long enough. Whenever somebody becomes a success spiritually, there's kind of like these spiritual piranha that starts swimming to them, and they just want to feed off them, and they, and they follow them, and they jump on the bandwagon to be part of a movement. You see it here, and then you see it today. I mean, people are always looking to go to the church of what's happening now. And so as as John the Baptist's success reaches its zenith, there's this rumor that, oh, he's the Christ. And and that's what happens, too. Uh, Flattery will always follow success. But I love it. John the Baptist doesn't take it in. He doesn't bask in it. Even though it was prophesied about him centuries earlier that he would be a success, He would be prepared to lead people. He would be popular. He would be charismatic. He would preach as a powerful prophet with the prophetic message that would cut to the hearts of people. He could have laid his claim to being the number one spiritual top dog of Judea, of Israel. But he doesn't. He says, I'm not him. And I want us to look at some of those lessons as he prepares the way. Because the next thing you see about John is the baptizer gives way? He, he First of all, he prepares the way for Jesus, and then he gives way to Jesus. Turn over to John chapter 3, and you're going to see a really insightful passage that shows us the heart, the methods, the manners of this great man. Pick it up in John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, now, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Remember, Mark told us that's where he was baptizing. That's where, where he spent. Jesus spent time with them, and he baptized. Now, John was also baptizing in Aen near Salom. because there was plenty of water there. Now, now, underline that little verse in your Bible, okay? John was baptizing there. Why? There's plenty of water. Can I just do a sidebar real quick for you? Everybody gets. Everybody wants to make God's will so mysterious and spooky. Woo! You know, like uh, let me just see it in neon lights in heaven, or maybe the clouds will 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 just kind of. Part and give me this great message. Can I tell you what God, listen, some of us need to understand God's will is very practical. And if you're walking with Jesus, if you are living to the best of your ability in the process of the spirit of God, it's going to be so practical. John didn't go, okay, he didn't get out like some kind of water stick, you know, and okay, God, where is the best place to baptize? You know what he did? He said, hey, here's water. I'm going to (laughs) baptize. And sometimes I just want to encourage people because sometimes Christ followers, we just get so spooky when we talk about God's will. And God's will is oftentimes so much more practical. Just allow it to be lived out in your life day by day as you walk with Jesus, as you listen to Jesus, and as you live for Jesus in the presence of his spirit. He'll guide you, he'll lead you, and you don't have to make it, you know, some kind of weird cantations and, you know, just crazy stuff like some people do. Okay, that's my sidebar. Uh, So people were coming and being baptized. Since John had not yet been thrown into prison, he's going to get thrown into prison. He's going to give his life for Christ within a couple of years. Now, notice what happens in verse 25. This is, you know, listen, nothing ever changes, whether it's out there or in here. Not in here in this church, because we don't have this problem. Thank God. <laughs> it says, but then a dispute rose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one that you testified about, you know Jesus, that guy. Well, He's he, he, who is with you across the Jordan. Now he's baptizing. And guess what? Everyone's going to him. We're losing our flocks. Our flocks are flocking to him. Well, John responded Oh, this is so good. Here's another thing to underline. You know what? No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah but I've been sent ahead of him. And he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. And I love this. Then what does he say last? He must increase, but I must decrease. So John, the Baptist, he, he comes to give way. Everything about John speaks of humility. You can't read anything in the New Testament where it doesn't focus on his humility. And I thought this as I read about him and thought, you know what, isn't this true? Humility looks good on anyone, even a rugged a man of the desert who doesn't look very attractive. But humility looks good on anyone. See, he could have been the man, but John the Baptist, he never pointed to himself, but he always pointed beyond himself to someone who was coming, someone so great that he said, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now understand, John is is drawing a really graphic contrast here between him and Jesus, the one to come. See, a Jewish servant had to do a lot of things, but he wasn't even required to untie his master's sandals, and to stoop that woe. And John says, "You know what? I'm not. Listen, I, I couldn't get low enough. I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to do that to the one who's coming. He's that much greater than me. And it's here that you begin to glimpse, catch this glimpse of humility, and Je- and his heart to serve like Jesus. One of the statements that I." that I think about often and I think it's really true if you want to know how much of a servant are you you, you are if you want to know how much of a serv- servant you are you'll find out by when you're treated like one and see John throughout his whole ministry begins to get treated by one as soon as Jesus comes onto the scene and he doesn't get upset about it like his followers He embraces it and says, it's who I am, it's what I do. He understood that it was never about him. He was simply the set-up man for Jesus. He constantly pointed people to Jesus. I want you to see the note in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. John gets thrown in prison, and we'll deal with this story later in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. But he gets thrown in prison for such a wrong reason. It happened at a debauched, drunken party. But he's getting ready to die, and he sends some disciples of his, some of his followers, to Jesus and says, Would you go find out from Jesus? <coughs> Excuse me, I want to know, is he the one? And Jesus sends him back and he doesn't even say that he's really the Christ. He just says, listen, brother, you've seen the dead rise. You've seen the the blind eyes healed. You've seen deaf ears opened. You've seen the lame walk. Let that speak of who I am. And as his disciples leave, and this is what's so interesting, as his disciples leave to go tell John this, Jesus says this. So these guys didn't even hear this to be able to go tell John the Baptist. But this is what Jesus says about John. He says, I assure you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Now, how would you like to have that be your epitaph? How would you like for those words to be said about you from the greatest? And I thought, I would like that. So I want to look at just a few characteristics of greatness from John's life this morning. What is it that makes him great? And the first thing is you got to know who you are. you got to know who you are. But just as importantly, you got to know whose you are. See, John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do, to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. But listen, he also knew who he wasn't even when people tried to puff him up and bump him up as the top dog, the spiritual guy of Judea, he said, no, that's not me. I know my limitations. I'm just simply this guy out in the desert that eats weird stuff and dresses for unsuccess, and I'm just here to point the way. That's, that's my limitations. And I think that that's really true. You know, he trusted God with who he was and who he wasn't. And I, and I think a step to growing in humility... Is, is really to realize, you know, every one of us have limitations and that's all right. I don't like that. I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but you can say you're going to be a millionaire all you want, but it doesn't mean you're going to be one. You may not have the wherewithal to be able to do that. You may say you're going to be a great preacher, but you may find out you don't have the skills, the abilities, the whatever it takes to do it. You may say, I'm going to be the, the best accountant in the world or the best technology. I, I don't, you, you may, but you may not. Every one of us have limitations. And one of the greatest points is that we come to this place where we understand we all have them. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. This doesn't say, oh, well, okay, I'm just a big L loser, you know, so I might as well cash it in. No, it just means I'm going to take these gifts and, and whatever limitations or good gifts that God has given me, I'm not going to go, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever it will be, it will be. No, you will work hard to develop and become the best that you can be with what he's given you to be, whether it's one talent or five talent or ten talents. But you will trust God with that. See, John the Baptist trusted God with his life and his calling and the vision that God gave him and his personal limitations because he knew he served a limitless God. And because of that, he could do whatever God called him to do. He had nothing to lose, but pinned everything on him so he could gain what he needed to gain. John the Baptist understood this well, and so did the apostle Paul. One of the scriptures that has helped me throughout my life as I've walked with Jesus, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. It says this, We whoever, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. Now, let me just give you the key principle out of there for my life, for your life. This is what I've come to understand. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about ministry and authority, but I believe that there's a wider, that we can apply this to our lives in a lot of different areas. God has given every one of you a lot, a place, a sphere, a region to live in. I'm not talking about geographic, although that could be part of it. But God says, this is, this is gonna be the place where you're gonna flourish and live and move with assignment and, and his agenda. Not your own, but his assignments. And Paul says this to his to these people, he says, I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm not going to do beyond what God has called me to do. It's so easy for all of us at different points to reach and to grab and to pursue more than what God has for us, isn't it? And there's this, real, listen, listen, there's this real fine line between be, being assertive and moving forward in your, in your life in whatever area and being passive and apathetic. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when you follow Jesus, you begin to understand where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. Because I see people, they extend themselves in a business venture that becomes too big and too much of a risk for them. And then they end up losing so much because they really didn't follow God or they pursue this job with all its bells and its whistles and all of its promises only to find out that the very thing it does, it may give them all of these world things, but it begins to move them out of their spiritual arena because they're so busy, they're so stressed, they don't have time for fellowship, they don't have time for church. All it is is about just keeping the job so they can keep whatever it is that the job is provided for them. I love the leadership of this church. I love my church council. And just the other night, because sometimes I got to tell you, I feel this press to do this or to do that. And and we kind of we kind of got our five year plan, and you know some of the big things in our five year plan for where we're going as a church. I said to our council, I said, listen, I just want to just want to throw this out. I'm not pushing, pressing for it, but I want to make sure. I'm not missing what God wants because I just read Joshua 1 that day and, or a couple of days earlier actually and talks about being strong and being courageous and taking new territory. I said, do you feel like we need to build sooner? Do you feel like I kind of need to ramp up and move that, the, the building, the new sanctuary and out there so we can kind of turn this into more of a community center? Do you think I need, we need to do that sooner? And the guys thought and they just all looked at me and they said, no no I, 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 I'm going to paraphrase it but I think they said you know I think, I think you're on, we're on track with what you've already said you know what you, you've said what we're going to do we're going to build our staff we're going to prepare for your transition we're going to plant churches we got some places we're thinking about on the map. We're going to, you know, you know, as soon as possible, get rid of Pastor Chris. And um, no, I'm just kidding. He knows I'm only kidding. He could stay for another month if he wanted to. Um, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm kidding about that, too. Chris could stay longer if he wants. I'm just kidding. But, but he, they said, you know what? you got this plan. Let's, let's go with that. And I just, okay, good. I can rest in that. Because sometimes I get like, got to do, got to move. And I realized, you know what, this is the lot. This is, this is what God's called us to do. So i got to relax in it and rest in it, trust it. That's why I love our leaders is because they can speak in to my life. How about this? A lot of single adults, they want to move outside God's boundaries, don't they? Because they want to live as a married person. And God says, you know what? I love you as a single. I want the best for you as a single. So I want you to live in this lot. That's what I've given you. I don't want you to live as a married person. I want you to enjoy that to its fullest when you get married. Loved ones, you'll be happiest. You'll be humble when you trust what God has for you and live within that sandbox and enjoy What God has for you, and not look for something bigger. I love a story about Corey Tinboom, who is just this powerful, wonderful representative of Christ. And she was so simple, but so brilliant. And she was so humble. And one day she was asked by a reporter, she says, "How, How do you stay so humble? Because people want you to speak and they want your wisdom and their insights. And she looks at him. She's a short little gal. And she looks at him and she goes, Sir, do do you think for one moment that when Jesus was riding that donkey into Jerusalem and they were shouting hosannas and and they were waving the palm branches and they were cheering and they were saying, God saves, do you think for one moment that donkey thinks that was for him? (laughs) (laughs) And she goes... If I can just be a donkey that Jesus rides around town on, that's all I need. And I think that there's something, loved ones, about knowing who you are. When you know who you are, when you know whose you are, when you live for Jesus, you can live humbly and you can choose to live in the place that Christ has you. That's what John did. Secondly, you've got to know your source. You've got to know your source. I want to ask you something. Do you really know who your source is? I mean, do you really believe Jesus is your source? Because, see, if you you really don't believe that and you think you're your provider, then you'll always move away from humility to pride, thinking you're the source, you're the answer, and you've got to do it all. Now hear me, you play a part in it. You play a significant part in it. But ultimately, you got to keep it in perspective that, as John said, I love this, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. It's all systemic to heaven. Well, what's in heaven? Jesus. We got a great staff here. I love our staff. They're skilled, they're talented. We have a great spirit in our church. It was a prophetic statement years ago. I just got it out this past week that said that there would come a time when people would actually walk onto this, drive onto this campus, come into this room, and, and people would just say, there's something, there's something here. I don't know what, it, I can't quantify it. And I even saw a little bit of that yesterday at a memorial service we had where I just had, I bet I, bet I had 15 people. Come up to me and just go. Wow, is this what your church is like? Well, it's pretty much pretty plain, isn't it? Yeah, but it's there's something here. We have great stability, but more and more, I realize I, I really couldn't tell you how it happens, other than it's given from heaven. Oh, I I, I work hard. I've worked hard for. 22 years here. And that's important. Because in, in my daily reading this last week, some of you that do the reading plan, you read 1 Corinthians 13. And this struck me so much because Paul is saying, every one of us, he says, Apollos and Paul, they were having this comparison thing. And, and he says... Every one of us plants, and we waters, and we labor, and we work. But ultimately, he used this word. He said, you are a co-laborer with Christ, and he causes the growth. And that's, that's a God thing, where we work hard. We do what we're supposed to do, but he causes the growth. And this is what I started thinking. I said, you know something? I am not going to take responsibility for this place. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be responsible, but I can't take responsibility for any good things that happens here. Because if this thing goes sideways tomorrow, I don't want to take responsibility for that. Unless I do something really stupid. And I don't usually do really stupid things. But you see what I'm saying? What are you talking about? There? Oh, let, let, me, let, me, let me just really be honest. I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. But I'm going to tell you. A couple years, about a year ago, I was, I was you know, I, I go through this Bible reading plan and encourage you to do it. And I was literally reading this passage about John. And I journaled this. This is what I said. I said, I gotta start listening to myself when it comes to this church. Who do I talk about more, me or Jesus. Who do I talk about more that's responsible for the good things that God is doing here? From the little room over there of a few people, some of a smattering of people, who's really responsible for I know here, but sometimes my mouth doesn't say, and I said, this is what I'm gonna do for the next year or so. I'm gonna start listening to me and what I say. Who really gets the credit? Who really gets pointed to that says they're responsible for what happens here? I got to make sure that I'm a good number two and not a number one. It's his church. You are his people. And that's why I, this, this isn't my church. It's our church. It's Jesus' church. It ain't mine. And I tell people, oh, Pastor, we love your church. It's not my church. It's your church. It's Jesus' church. And let's not forget that. Because when we understand our source, he can continue to bless it. Amen? Amen. It's your church. It's his church. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. The next thing is you've got to watch over your heart you got to watch over here. See, the crowds, listen. And, and if, you, if you, Some of you have maybe received acclaim and everything, but John here, the crowds are streaming to the desert to hear his message and to be baptized. It had been easy for John to get a big head, but he never did. But the people... They were, f- they were just following him and like he was the big revival tent in town. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene, and guess what? Some of John's posse, his entourage, they come up to him, and they go, John, guess what? The flocks are thinning. The people are leaving. That guy over there that you said you were coming for, they're all going to him, and we're not happy about it. We like a bigger crowd. It didn't bother John. They're ripped. They're jealous. They even said, everyone is going to see him instead of coming to us. But again, John says, heaven gave it to me. Heaven's giving it to him. And he basically says this, we are not here to compete. We are here to complete and now that he has come, guess what? My ministry is now number 23510 or whatever. It's all about him. See, life can be unfair, can't it? I'll tell you how you begin to find out your your humility quotient. Someone gets the promotion that you thought you had coming and you felt you deserved it, but you don't get it. Someone gets recognition for something you had a major part in, but you don't get it. Someone gets the solo that you wanted, and you're thinking they shouldn't even be up there. (laughs) Someone gets the prime assignment that you've worked hard to prove yourself for, to get the lead in. Somebody else gets it. Somebody else gets a ministry that you wanted, or somebody else gets to be on the platform that you thought, I've been here longer. Someone gets a blessing you thought you deserved, not them. Why not me? I love Jesus more than they do. Matter of fact, I don't even really love Jesus. Oh, come on! You know we think like that. See, they'll test your humility quotient. They'll test your heart. I love this. See, we often think these things cause these internal issues, and we can be bitter and upset. BECAUSE THESE THINGS HAPPENED TO US. HEAR ME, THIS IS REALLY IMPORTANT. YOU DON'T GET A TOXIC HEART BECAUSE THOSE THINGS HAPPENED TO YOU. THOSE THINGS SIMPLY REVEAL WHAT WAS ALREADY IN YOUR HEART. WHAT DO YOU MEAN? WELL, THIS IS WHAT JESUS SAID. In Mark chapter 7, verse 15, nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile them, but it's the things that come out of a person that defile them. See, all those difficult things, all the tough experiences of life only reveal what's already in there. And I love it. John the Baptist, he never flinches when time came to give up his position to release the platitudes of being the top spiritual prophet dog of the day. He says, let it go. It's critical, loved ones, to watch over your heart that you don't let it get tainted, that you face off and deal with any underground toxic emotions that could erode your soul or callous your heart whether in the church or whether outside the church, whether at work, whether with your family, envy, jealousy, insecurity, bitterness are toxic to your life. And they will ultimately impede from you being fulfilling what Jesus has for you. See, if you allow these to take root or they become your default system, you'll move into the comparison trap. Paul said this right before the other passage about we all have this lot in life. He says, for we don't dare classify or compare ourselves as someone who commend themselves, who look at themselves and say, I'm good on this. But in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. They move into the comparison trap. And loved ones, whenever we move into a comparison trap, one of two things will happen. You'll either become very self-inflated and prideful because you're so much further along and above everybody, which is really sad. Or the other sad thing is you'll become greatly deflated because you'll look around at your personal inadequacies and everybody else's adequacies and blessings. And then it will be debilitating. To, both of these are debilitating to your life, your ministry, your job, your relationships. So what we need to see, we need to realize, this is what I'm doing. I'm part of a bigger kingdom team. Like John the Baptist. If I don't stay kingdom and Jesus-focused, I'll become self-focused. What am I doing? How am I moving forward? What's happening with them? And we need to step back. And if you want to grow, applaud God's blessings to people around you. That's why I applaud churches. I applaud pastors. I applaud friends. And if you do that at work, where maybe you feel like you're not moving up as quickly, guess what? That will make a pathway for you to be a blessing so God can bless you. Pastor Wayne Cordero said it this way, you will never dim your candle by stooping to light the candle of someone else. And John the Baptist is a perfect example. Here, Jesus, I'm just here to light your candle. Here, guys, just start lighting candles. Be a blessing. Oh, Jesus said, there's none greater. So you got to know your role. John the Baptist, here he says... I've got this great joy. Why? Here's John's answer. He says, I'm the best man. I am simply a groomsman. Jesus is the groom. And he says, he's got to become greater. I must become less. John points to Jesus. And John uses this analogy that would have been very familiar to the the disciples that he was speaking to and the people in this day. See, the wedding custom in that day really was dictated by the best man or the best friend. The groom, the, 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 the bridegroom, he would, he would go and he would invite all of the friends. He would make all of the preparations for the wedding. And finally, upon completion of the wedding, which is a long process, a lot of pressure on this guy, he would escort the bride and the groom into the bridal chambers. And it's kind of weird, but he would, he would put them in there and, you know, it's time to consummate and take care of business. And then he would kind of be off and he'd be waiting for the voice of the groom to simply say, it's good, it's done. It's finished. And then at that point, there would be this release So he'd go, ah, I've I've heard his voice. It's good, it's done. I can step back. That's what John is saying there. See, the focus, loved one, isn't what you get from Jesus, but what you're hearing through the life of Jesus in his voice and that you're doing it and you're fulfilling it. Nothing more, nothing less. It's your greatest joy. Mark Twain, I love what he said. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. (laughs) Now that's a lot of stuff right there, loved ones. John the Baptist knew his role. He knew why. I am not the light. I am a lamp. I am pointing to the one. I am just, I'm not the point. He says, I must increase. He must increase. I must decrease. Do you want to be a better partner? Then you've got to decrease, and Jesus has got to increase. Do you want to be a better parent? You must decrease. Jesus must increase. Do you want to be a better person? You've got to decrease, and Jesus has got to increase. You want to be a better servant, better ministry leader? You've got to decrease, and Jesus must increase. You want to be a better employer, a better employee? You must decrease. Jesus must increase. KNOW YOUR ROLE. IT'S ALL ABOUT HIM. AND and, and ANOTHER THING IS FOLLOW HIM. TWO THINGS WE'VE ALL GOT TO DO. NUMBER ONE IS FOLLOW HIM. JOHN SAYS THIS STATEMENT IN MARK, HE SAYS, I BAPTIZE YOU WITH WATER, HE WILL BAPTIZE YOU WITH THE HOLY SPIRIT. The Baptist here is saying, you know what? I can only do this symbolic washing, but Jesus is the real deal, and he does the real thing. Only Jesus can wash away sins, and only Jesus can fill us with the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And, loved ones, this is an important part of the gospel, the good news. Jesus comes not to take away our sins, only but to give us this Holy Spirit that can come in and empower us to live out his will and transform us to become more like him. See, too often we reduce the gospel to simply forgiveness. Whoo! I got my fire return suit on. I'm not going to hell. I get to go to heaven. Woo! But Jesus is not only the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the sins of your life. He's also the one who baptizes you, who says, I want to give life to you. I want to give a life that empowers you. And I want to give a new life to you that you can live and be transformed from glory to glory, from day to day, from experience to experience. And this quality is given to us when Christ comes into our lives and we simply respond to those two words, follow me. Now, I I hesitate to tell this. I told it a couple years ago, but it's a a story that happened and and I can't think of a better way to illustrate it. So a lot of you have heard it, but I had these pastor friends at Antioch who bought this house years ago. And it had a pool. It was run down. The house was run down. The pool was run down. It was a mess. I mean, you could, listen, you could walk on water. The algae was so thick. (laughs) It was a mess. And, and our friend had bought it, didn't know much about pools, and, and he was going to empty out the pool. But before he did that, he he called a pool service. And the man said, uh, no, no, don't, don't, don't empty it out. You'll flood your neighborhood. So he said, do these things, you know, get all the junk out of it. So they skimmed all the algae off and got these tree branches out because we went over there for dinner to see their new house and their pool, and it was a mess, and it was pretty gross, and we obviously didn't swim. Well, over time, he... The pool guy comes down and says, listen, I just want you to clean it all out, get all the junk out, the branches and stuff. And So after some days, they did all this. And, and then he said, now when you get it all cleaned out, uh, we're going to start putting some different things in it. So they, they put in new filters and pumps. They added chlorine, some startup chemicals, and pretty soon the water started changing. And then he said, now when that water gets nice enough, I want you to jump in there, and I want you to start cleaning the sides scouring the sides. And so my friend began to do that. Well, some months later we come over and it's beautiful summer day and uh, we're jumping in, we're playing and we're swimming. And all of a sudden he's telling me this story. He says, yeah, boy, it's amazing. I says, oh, this is so nice, you know? And he goes, yeah, you wouldn't believe, man, in this very water, we pulled out all the algae, all of these um, sticks and Junk and pine cones and crud, and and we actually found a couple of rats, you know. And, and we went to pick them up, and they were so bad they just kind of disintegrated. And, 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 and he just, t- he's going on, and there's a couple of other rodents in there, and I'm thinking, oh, that's bad. And he goes, and this is the very same water. And I go, no kidding, that's awful, don't tell me that. I've been blowing it out my nose, I've been spitting it out, drinking it. I said I didn't know that I was in rat stew, you know, or rat broth. It was bad. Then he goes, "Oh no, don't worry. It's totally clean. It's pristine and it's pure, but it's the same water." And I thought, "Wow, what a powerful picture of what happens in our lives." Jesus said it this way in John chapter seven. 37 and 39, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within. And by this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive him. That's what Jesus does. He takes away our sin, the dirty water that pollutes us, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us the Holy Spirit, a picture of the water, the clean water, so that we can live new lives and experience this new quality of life and where we now become inner-directed by his Spirit to humility, to service, to love. Oh, that's why John the Baptist could experience this. Because he said, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to experience this empowering, transforming life. Loved ones, this is the gospel. Jesus, he's not simply another human leader. And John the Baptist does what every person must do. Step down, raise Jesus up, step off the stage and make him front and center on the stage of our lives. Make him number one, not ourselves. Inner thinking, as our object of worship. Hear me, have you done that? <laughs> Are you doing that? You can't have it any other way. The gospel of Mark is going to pummel us with this. It's Jesus. And following him has a cost. But the payoff is so great. So we got everyone, you got to follow him. And the last thing is simply this. This is John the Baptist. Point others to him. See, this is all something we can learn from John. Point people to Jesus. I can't save anyone. I can't heal anyone. I can't fix your marriage. I can't transform anyone. And neither can you. Jesus can. Jesus can do anything. He can take the most wretched person in this room, in this city, in this county, in this nation, and change them. He can take all the bat soup, he can take all the algae, and he can extract it through one time the presence of his life through his spirit. And our job is simply to point people to him. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Jesus Christ.